So we're very thrilled to have Monty Anderson here talking with us. Uh, Monty is somebody who um, has has been a mentor and has taught me a great deal and, and was uh, an inspiration in starting this business and has been an inspiration as we've continued to go along. Um, and we've done work for him. He's done work for us. So this is definitely a conversation that we've been very, very excited to have. Um, Monty, for those of you who do not know about him, has been a developer uh, in here in the Dallas area, in southern Dallas County and northern Ellis County, which is the area he'd call his farm, uh, for about 30 years. Um, and he has run a variety of, of different uh, projects um, that, that he can talk to us a little bit about. Uh, he's also co-founder of the Incremental Development Alliance. So he goes around the country and teaches people how to become their own developers at a very local and very neighborhood scale. Um, so it's, we're very excited to have him here. One of the things that we um, are interested in hearing his perspective about, and we like to kind of focus on this. Uh, Monty has um, various properties throughout his farm. He has a lot of uh, tenants and in particular commercial tenants, um, stores, restaurants, uh, small service businesses. And as you might imagine, uh, Monty certainly is working with a lot of businesses that are, are struggling uh, to stay open, not only right now, uh, but in the long term. And, and we'll have to be taking some steps to struggle to take op- to stay open over the next several months and, and perhaps years. We wanted to get a lot of perspective. Uh, Monty is is very different in a lot of ways from a lot of people who are developers in that he's somebody who really curates uh, the properties that he works with and helps to kind of help people to take the steps that they need to have their own business. Uh, sometimes they have to start very small. Sometimes if they're too big, they have to downsize. Uh, and I'm very interested here his perspective as he's dealing with a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to stay, keep their doors open over the next few months. So with that, uh, with that long introduction, Monty, uh, thank you for, uh, for agreeing to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks, Rick and Chris. Thanks uh, for having me here today. So uh, what a strange time um, coming into this today. Um, You know, I've been covered up with tenants who rent spaces from me, and and not only the tenants, but people that have bought buildings that own properties now calling me just one right after another the last few days trying to figure out how they're going to make it, you know, and what kind of things that we can do. Um, and the fortunate thing is that we've been used to doing with nothing for 30 years. So it's probably a little easier for us to deal with this. Um, and even though I'm having to deal with lots of people that can't pay their rent right now, I don't seem to be feeling the stress as hard as you might think so, or as hard as I thought I would right now. So, um, I can't say I like this because I don't because we had pretty booming economy, but I think this is going to be a good thing. Uh, I don't want anybody to die or anything. You know, that's that's not what I'm talking about. But I think this is going to make us look at ourselves and reflect on what we should have been doing anyway. That's that's a lot of the thought I have. Can you can you give me an example of something that you think? you hope will will change a practice that you think is going to change after this that people are going to see as unsustainable or not resilient? 
So I think for one thing, for me looking forward, I don't know that I'll rent space to people that don't have essential businesses, you know, so because hmm. right now there's lots of businesses that are not essential. And it's, it's really like building that community around yourself, um, like like in the downtown Duncanville area. You know, I live two blocks from my home. My office is two blocks from my home. But I have just about everything I need in that those few blocks uh, right now. I could nearly live without going anywhere. I can get, get food. I can get a haircut. I can get pharmacy. Well, I can't get a haircut right now, but uh, we'll be able to eventually. But I can get everything I need really quick. And if this happened again, you know, we could really like rope off this little area right here and protect ourselves. And I, I think that I think that cities are going to have to learn how to be able to live, work, and play. We we kind of say that in in the past as kind of a trend. You know, kind of like the cool thing is live, work, and play. But we're talking about life or death right now of live, work, and play in a small area. And then when we want to go somewhere, it's a bonus. Or when others come into our our neighborhoods, we get bonus pay. And I think that's the main the main thing I think that we're going to have to learn through this is that we're so dependent upon wide-ranging places. I think that's going to shrink down to very small so more localized, like you have to be more self-sustaining in your own ecosystem, your own little city business ecosystem. I just wrote a letter uh, to the city manager and the mayor here, and it's exactly what I'm talking about. I believe the most important thing that we can do right now in our city is take care of, the, besides doing the safety thing, I believe the most important thing that we have to do right now is to keep our small businesses healthy. Right. Uh, and uh, to be able to, uh, I'm not saying not to work outside of your community, but be able to live within your, your with, live within your means, within your local, um, you can get all the products you need to live on a daily basis within a neighborhood. And, you know, that's, we don't have that for sure here in Texas. Uh, there may be some of the Northeast, you know, some of our more urban cities that can live like that, but but we surely don't live like that here in Texas. What are some of the businesses that you see are we're not good at having in our towns that um, that maybe in the Northeast they have, but where do, we don't have that you're talking about are more far reaching that are not as localized as you'd like to see? Well, small grocers on every corner, you know, uh, more small restaurants, walkable, more owner occupied, you know, like entrepreneurs running the restaurant, not just big businesses. Um, you know, small businesses of every every kind, and I'm not just talking about essential businesses. You know, we got a cigar store. Of course, some might say that cigars are essential, <laughs> but we got a, right. we got a cigar store that I, I you know I quit smoking cigars a few months ago. But but if you smoke cigars, you really need. <laughs> You know, you really need them. Uh, alcohol, being able to get alcohol, you know, close. Being able to um, go to the pharmacy. Right. I'm trying to think of what we we don't need. Say that again. Well, th what, that we do need because you're, you're saying that we need to have more of these certain types of businesses that Texas doesn't have in general. And I was just curious which ones specifically in Texas that we're bad about having in our small towns or our yeah, it's mo the main thing is having groceries close by and little and, and smaller and smaller doses. Yeah. I think that the the local store, 
uh, see like one of the, the, the bar at main station of the bar called Mudhook uh-huh. down there, t- they turned their bar into a, basically a general store. There you go. And, and they, they just took all the things that, that they bring in the, the back door, you know, all the, the, like limes and vegetables and meat and alcohol and toilet paper and paper towels and all of those things, hand washing, hand sanitizing. They put it out on the, on the, on the showroom. Yeah. So they took everything that was in the back and put it out front and on the street. And in fact, he's having record days right now. That's, that's crazy. He's having record days in sales. So the bar is having record days right now during the COVID. Yes. That's awesome. And because other people have shut down and he's very close, so I can go downstairs and get toilet paper or paper towels or I got plastic gloves. He sells gloves because his people wear gloves, right? you know, in the back. Yeah. And so he's got them in the front now. And uh, so all of those things, uh, th- that's probably the main thing is not having a general store or grocery stores very close to home. I, I hate to think about the food deserts of Southern Dallas County right now. Right. I hate to think about what people are having to do over there or how much unsafe conditions they're living in. Yeah, you grew up there, right? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in um, I didn't grow up in the, the really low end, but I, I grew up in lower middle income neighborhoods of Southern Dallas. Yeah, so you know firsthand kind of some of the experience, or at least the food desert situation, you understand that a little bit better than most. Um, whenever, one of the reasons I really, I said, Rick, I told Rick, I said, we gotta talk to Monty about this, and this ties into what you were just talking about, is how you're talking to tenants and the, the different issues that are coming up and how really on a case-by-case basis, you're working with them uh, to try and figure out different ways or, or just really trying to help out if, if you can help them out. And then just talking about kind of how you're dealing with tenants on a case-by-case basis, because you obviously still have a mortgage to play. You still have, you know, bank notes and all these different things or not mortgages, you know, just a, a loans. You have all these, you know, you, you still have bills and you, you can't not get, uh, you can't not get any cash flow, right? It's not like free rent right. just because of the crisis. And so just how you're dealing with it, when I heard how you were dealing with it, I was like, you know, I think everybody kind of needs to hear from some people who are really, cause you're working really hard. I'm sure you're working hard, but I, th- I think you enjoy this sort of thing, which is, you know, helping people and how you're doing that. Yeah. And then, maybe later on what what you're seeing of who's going to be successful in doing this like you just talked about with the bar because they're adapting or how they're adapting and just kind of walk us through what what you decided to do when all this happened and as people come to you and just your kind of process by which uh, you're dealing with it um, right now because i think i think an important thing is that you've always dealt with people with with an exceptional amount of of flexibility and creativity um, and, and I think that's one of the things these small businesses need. You need to have the flexibility, for example, to be able to say, well, right now my bar is also a, a, a temporary grocery store because that's how I can make money and serve the community right now. So, uh, first of all, my business in property management, which we do, you know, we do development, construction, property management, leasing, and brokerage. Because of the property management, we're an essential business because we have medical tenants, grocery stores, food suppliers, you know, we have a bike shop, a bike shop right now, bike repair is an essential business. Okay. You know, we have people like that, that are, that are essential uh, business. So we're essential business. So we're working every day 
So our, our office is working every day. We're trying to keep distance, you know, do the things that keep us safe uh, every day. So you're right on all these properties that we own, you know, that we own in partnerships. Uh, they all have mortgages. They all have taxes, insurance, you know, maintenance. We have to keep them clean, especially now we have to even be more clean. Uh, that's that's hugely critical. And none of those people are saying that we're going to get some help as a mid-level kind of property manager, owner. We're going to get some help. I don't see it. And plus, uh, we can talk later more about it. I don't really believe in it. And I am very hopeful that I can figure out a way to make it through this without having to borrow any extra money. Now, one of the things that we've done early on is that we make sure that, uh, that, that we try to pay the debt on our buildings down as fast as we can. And so most of our properties are 50% or less in debt or, or paid off or, or those things, which helps us a lot. And then when the tenant comes to me right now, I ask them what they think I should do. So I'm gonna listen to you and listen to your problems. But I wanna see a couple of things from you, or three things actually. First of all, I wanna see your hardship. I wanna see your financial statement, your bank account, you know, and what you're doing. And secondly, I wanna know that you have applied with the SBA disaster relief or the payroll, the PPP, or you've applied and you're doing everything you can. For instance, if you're a barber shop right now, you cannot work. Right. You can't work, you can't work at home, you can't work anywhere. So what what, are you, what have you done? And then thirdly, um, so I want to know uh, what your plan is, and then and then I want to know what your plan is or what your strategy's got to be. I mean, what do you got to do? Like I had an event lady. She does events down at Tyler Station right next to the brewery. And so she is looking at starting a market because she can't have events for sure. There's no way. But she's got a lot of little vendors that she knows that sell food products and things like that, essentials, that could come in and set up right next to the brewery who is selling their beer on the sidewalk out front. So you've got to remember, this is a manufacturing operation, this brewery is. They do have a bar, a tasting room, but they are selling beer in their growlers right outside on the sidewalk to make any money they can to keep going. And so then I say, okay, then we look at those three things and we say, what can you pay on an individual basis? If you have money, I'm asking you to pay because we need it. And everybody needs it. If you have it saved, we need it because we're going to have to use our savings. You're going to have to use yours. If you can't pay, then we're looking at um, how much can you pay? If none, let's look. If 20%, 50%, 70%, pay what you can. I'm not going to evict you. I'm not going to harass you. Um, when we come out of this, we'll figure out how to spread the, the balance out over the term of the lease. And hopefully, between all of those things, there's enough money for all of us to keep operating. Yeah. Because the last thing I want to do is lose any of the tenants. Now, I know of some landlords that have used it for advertising. There's one that I know of who's not a good landlord. He's got, like, he advertised that he's got to forgive the month, give rent for the next three months. Just forgive the rent. To, in my opinion, that is bad business. And I don't know his, his game there. I don't know what he's doing. Um, but I'm taking it on a month by month. 
You know, so right now, what have you got today? What can you pay? What are we going to do next month? We'll deal with May when it gets here. And then we'll deal with each month as it gets there. And, and in the meantime, you and I are going to have lots of conversations about ideas and thoughts and dreams and hopes and plans. And what can we do? What can we do to make this, to make this work? And not only, not only now, but in the future, because you realize that probably half our restaurants are going to go bankrupt. You know, they're already yeah. going bankrupt, Right. There are already businesses going bankrupt. Right. Especially the food service industry. The service industry is really hurting. Hospitality, food service, all that's struggling big time. Yeah, hotels, food, there are going to be lots of bankruptcies here. There's going to be no way to, to, to save them. You know, you had an, an, uh, an interesting insight when we were talking a little bit before this call. Uh, and you were talking about the, the difference between businesses that stay open even if, oh, yeah. if they're not really making a lot of money and businesses that close down and have to restart. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, can you share some more thoughts about that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, Rick. Um, you and I have talked about this uh, a bit. So let's starting a new business, you know this. It's like launching a battleship, okay? It's not an easy task, you know. Um, it's, it's hard work. I don't care if it's a small business or medium or large. It's hard. When you shut down your business for a month or two, just shut it down and don't do anything, it's going to be like restarting your business again. In fact, people are going to forget about you. They're going to forget their, their natural patterns of coming to you for their goods or services they're going to stop doing. So businesses that, that can figure out a way to keep doing something, whether it's online uh, and even the barber shop, maybe the barber teaches people how to cut their own hair on stuff, you know, on online. You know, there's always something you can do. I don't care who you are. There's something you can do somewhere that if you keep doing that during this time, first of all, two things are going to happen. You know, one, you're going to go, you're not going to go crazy. You're going to stay sane. And then secondly, and that's really important right now, this is where you may lose more people than the virus takes down in mental issues, suicide, alcoholism, drug addiction. I mean, we may lose a lot of people in other ways. Yeah. But in this case, if you're doing something just like the brewer, brewery at uh, Tyler Station is doing, selling a beer on the street, okay, right now. When he opens back up, he's been practicing his craft. He's, he's fine-tuning his beer. He's selling it by the, by the, by the can. He's going to be really in a good position to go full steam ahead. But just imagine if he had to shut down completely. Right. Just shut the plant down. Let the tanks go empty in the back. Just imagine starting back up. He, first of all, he's got to forget what he was learning uh, along the way. Because we're always learning as small business people. We're always learning every day. And he's got to forget about his learning, what he's learned. And he's going to have to go back and relearn and retool. And he's going to have to get people used to come into his place again. See, right now, people are empathetic with us, especially people like him. And so people may be even buying more beer on the street than they would have bought just to help a small business out because we like to help each other. We do. All of, us, all of us like to do that, and especially in a crisis like this. So I think that the people that stay in business, that can figure out how to do something, 
whatever it is, just like you guys are doing today with this pod, the, you know, this podcast here, just like this. Uh, we can stay in communication. We can stay doing something. We can keep our brains active, keep our brains thinking about the future and what the hope is that that's going to be very important to starting back up. Yeah. The importance of staying in operation. It's easy to forget. Uh, we're, we're creatures of habit. I think humans, I think no matter who you are or what your proclivity is, you're, we're all creatures of habit, which is why everyone says, you know, you keep the customers you have, right? Because it's so hard to get a new a, a customer requirement. You don't want to lose your customers. And so right now, essentially, the, any way you can do in any capacity to keep any of your customers so that they are like, oh, whenever it comes back, that's the place I want to go to. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. So this is a good time to clean your kitchens if you're in the restaurant business. Pull all your stuff out and really clean. This is a good time to refine your menus. Right. To figure out what kind of things people are going to, what kind of things are not selling. This is a really good time to really sharpen your skills, sharpen your sharpen your craft. Yeah. From the perspective of, of my business, um, you know, I just think of how much... I have to think about what this means right now and what this will mean after that. Um, and, you know, if we weren't having these conversations every day and, and talking to clients and, and changing contracts around, if we weren't doing all of that stuff and figuring out what this means and having interviews and doing blog posts and tried to, to, you know, in a month and a half to say, well, I guess we'll have to start thinking about how this all impacts our business and how we should go forward. We'd, we'd be irrelevant, right? We'd have to close our doors. And I think that there's a lot of these, these companies and other entities um, that are going to find that if they think that, that they can wait, you know, three months or two months to deal with, with how the world is changing, um, that in addition to all the challenges of restarting their business, I don't think that they're going to be able to, to do it. So with what you just said, Rick, I was thinking about something I wrote to the city of Duncanville. And by the way, for, for our listeners, Monty is not only has his office in Duncanville, lives in Duncanville, and owns a lot of properties and was uh, kind of the key person in the revitalization of the downtown, but he's also on Duncanville City Council now, so has a lot of different hats. Sorry, keep, keep going, Monty. So that's, there is a lot of stuff I wrote in this, this letter. Um, okay, here's what, I, here's what I said to them above... Um, so above all else, I understand the need for safety as a first priority. That being said, if we do not take progressive actions with all the things that we can control, we are going to be hurting in a way we have never experienced. I believe that this crisis will be long-lasting way beyond our lives. But on the positive side, you know, Duncanville, for instance, is a tight 11.2 square miles with good infrastructure that can be easily retrofitted into modern, relevant, and a walkable city. By making the best of what we have, including the people that are currently here, we have everything we need without going outside our community. Now, when I say not going outside our community, I mean we have to learn how to maintain our tax base and quality of life by creating a city that works, lives, and plays without the needs of others. That doesn't mean that we don't need others. And that doesn't mean that uh, we think we're better than someone else. It just it means that we have to learn how to survive on our own and with the people that we have. This was already the case. We're just not conscious of it. I mean, it's gotta it's gotta be ugly. I'm, I'm I hate to, you know, I hate to 
to say this, and a lot of big businesses are going to fall, and I don't think the stimulus, I don't see how it can, it can sustain us because we're just printing money. And, and I don't mean to paint the gloom and doom picture, but, man, we're going to have to have a shift in thinking. And we can't wait and we cannot wait. We have to start today or tomorrow. We cannot wait. Pull the blanket over our heads and watch Netflix and order pizzas for the next 30 days or longer. You know, we have to take action immediately. So people who listen to this, what are, what are some, and you've already mentioned some things, you know, like how do you adapt? How do you keep doing anything so you don't go crazy? What are some other things uh, that you've just been either been doing yourself or uh, whenever you've had these tenants come to you and talk to you, what are some things that you're seeing people do that you're like, that's a really great idea. Um, just want to share it with maybe people, just some different ideas or things that you're seeing that are, that are unique to this time. Yeah. Besides the stuff that I've already um, talked about, uh, I'm watching the businesses at DeSoto marketplace. Okay. The retail businesses had to shut down. But what we did immediately down there with our business mentor that's at the that works through the DeSoto Economic Development Corporation, she immediately has has gone into high powered training of how to sell online all over the country, and so she's got a like a shopping mall set up online. She set a shopping mall for them. the The food business is down there, like our trailers out front. The food business is out there. There are huge, long lines. That's good. Long lines. Now, because people are going to get tired of eating McDonald's and Jack in the Box and Domino's Pizza very quickly and are going to be looking for alternatives. And so the main thing for them is that because we have uh, seven uh, plus three, we have uh, 10 food providers out there, and is to stay open to be able to figure out how to... Um, put their product outside of their window, how to cook it and put it outside their window without uh, creating any unsafe conditions, similar to what the pie, what Rick was telling me about the pie company uh, and Bishop Arts is Emporium doing. Emporium Pie. Emporium yeah, where Pie. where they basically turned a, walk, a little walk-in store into a drive-thru and have been successful in keeping their doors open. We've got an aisle out there that they can, they can, they can put stuff out that they can actually do a drive-thru uh, there. And then we have windows... Thankfully, you know, I mean, we we cut those windows in that building when we created those those small uh, businesses, and none of them really used those exterior windows. And now they're using those exterior windows. It's got to be the thing that keeps them uh, in business. So again, the way we build our environment in the future today and in the future, we need to really think about um, because it could be the difference whether we make it or we we don't. You know. I've got three deals I'm ready to close on myself, three new projects I'm getting ready to close on. And I've got to decide whether I go into a shell right now, okay? Do I go into the shell and just postpone them for a while? Or do I go ahead and, and get them started? Because most of the construction is essential. Um, so I made a choice next week, I'm the closing on a property which is very rare and very odd. Thankfully, I have a lender who's allowed me to, to go ahead with it. And I, the reason I'm doing it is to keep my people working, is to keep my people busy. Because 
I have a responsibility to all the people that are within my system of ke- of keeping every one of my goals is to not take the stimulus, and the second goal is to keep everybody working that I that I um, am touching, and so those are some of the things. There may be some more I think of in a minute, but it's 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 really it's it's a it's so fast coming um, uh, every day. I'm asking people to talk with me to strategize. And believe it or not, a lot of people, they're so depressed right now and they're so um, uh, down that they they don't even want to talk. They just really want to stay at home and watch TV and kind of block it out. People are grieving. Uh, you're right. Um, yeah. I think you brought up two really important things, responsibility and, and stewardship just in in these properties that you own. And I think you do a great job with that and you really... Uh, have a lot of you're very principled in the way that you look at those things you know um, you brought up some other difficult things people are people are having a hard time and um, for those of us I think everyone on this call has been in small businesses and in multiple years of their life and know kind of that uh, obstacles come with the territory and sometimes uh, you know you you develop a uh, I don't know what the right word is, but just a, a, a pushing through the the crap, you know, getting, you know, you know, you get knocked down, but you you get knocked down a lot and you just keep going. Um, and I know I know you guys can both talk to that. But the question, the thing is, that I think it's important to bring up is for some of these people, you know, you brought it up earlier that are going to go bankrupt. You got hotels and you got food service. And in in a month and a half, when this stuff opens back up. I don't think everyone's going to have their job back, right? You're going to have you're going to have a lot of waiters and waitresses and you know service industry people that won't have a job that had a job before, and you know I I don't want to be callous, but I also want to be real and say you know we can this package stimulus package might pay them for a couple months, but it's not going to pay the their they got to find something else, right? And you know I don't want to say you got to find it today, but it's it's probably hard, but you know it's just a, I think talking about some of those things and being realistic and saying you know like you talked about uh, people are creatures of habit and when this ends you know where are we going to go what are we going to do are you, are people going to still there's some restaurants that'll be great and like you said some of the ones that are staying in operation and if you know if you're selling food right now you're probably you probably are going to be pretty good if you're completely shut down you know uh, I. I I, I agree with you. You know, the, the industry is talking about a 30 to 70% additional uh, slag on business, on these restaurant, on the restaurant industry, because the, the demand is going to decrease, you know, which I can see happening, you know, on a macroeconomic perspective, you know, but like you're talking about, Monty, whenever you focus on your town and you focus more locally, and you focus on a case by case, business by business, restaurant by restaurant business, and you look at the individuals and the ones that are actually, you then you can innovate, right? Then you can adapt because the the business itself doesn't innovate, right? It's the people within the business that innovate. Yeah, you know we're much more resilient. Let's say big business and big, just big. I can mostly talk about big real estate development. It's more like. A big real estate, big apartment complex, or a big retail center is more like oranges, right? It's a commodity. It's built as a commodity. And during this time like this, the commodities, uh, 
are, are not going to do as well. You know, they're going to they're going to go up and down drastically. Small businesses on Main Street America and, and small owner occupied restaurants and owner occupied buildings are much more resilient. You know, they they're their own landlord. You know, a, a chef that's running his business or her business. Uh, can get rid of you know can downsize and do everything themselves, you know they can they they don't they're not dependent upon somebody else at this time, you know those kind of people are going to be the ones who make it, uh, people that have you know somebody's got a big gigantic five thousand square foot restaurant right now that was already mostly empty on most nights before this happened, you know. They're they're not they're not going to be there. They're not coming back. They're not coming back. There's some restaurants that closed the other day. I I don't really want to say their name right now, but one that's really popular, and they just closed the other day. They're not opening back up already. I can tell you right now. It's one one that we all know. Really, we know well. They are not opening back up. It's going to be somebody else is going to be there. They're they're not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be them. And here's this. Here's the thing, too. A lot of the my um, manufacturers at Tyler Station, like one of them, a stash design over there, who's my partner, one of my partners at Tyler Station, he makes all the furniture for Kane's Chicken all over the country. Now, you know, I went over by Kane's Chicken last night. It was packed. I mean, they were they're out, you know, on the road. I mean, so, but are they going to open up new stores right now? I would say no. So he's going to, that's going to, people that have work right now over the next few months, that work's going to dry up. And then those operations that are rebuilding, it's going to take them another six months, a year, two years to start building again. Because we're going to want to make sure we're out of this pandemic before we, we start. And I, that's why I think it's so important for me next week to close on this one project I've got and to start it. It's because... People need to see hope, you know. They need to see uh, things. Uh, things are happening, and they need to see something. And so, do the next right thing. Live one day at a time. A couple thoughts I'd, I'd like to to either share or kind of hear your your perspective on. Um, but a, a quick thought first. You know, one of the things that you did in the in the Tyler Station project, and, and um, uh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. The Grow DeSoto project. Uh, and for those listeners who aren't familiar with this project where you took essentially uh, an abandoned, uh, you know, former um, hardware store, Ace Hardware store, and turned it into this multi-vendor business incubator which has restaurants and small restaurants, small retailers, offices, those sorts of things. One of the things that was done with that were the, the exterior windows. Um, and you mentioned that at the time, so you had these restaurants you could go in and go to the restaurants, but you also had these uh, windows that they could serve people from the outside. Um, and at the time, it wasn't very widely used, and now it's being very widely used. Um, one of the things that I think about is that when we talk about this idea of, of what we might call urbanism, you know, it's really a shorthand for a lot of timeless principles that we've forgotten, that we don't necessarily have. Urbanism is one word we can use, but, you know, it's, it's the way that cities were more or less built for thousands of years. 
and we've forgotten about them. Um, and, you know, we um, uh, Chuck Marone with Strong Towns, he, he talks about a, a kind of a spooky wisdom, meaning that we figured out through trial and error, um, we had a lot of problems and then we built places that dealt with those problems. Um, and, you know, when you had the exterior windows, you added flexibility to it. Um, you didn't say, I'm going to add flexibility in case there's a, a pandemic, <laughs> right? No. But, but, but you know what? There was going to be some crisis or another. Like, we're going to have other crises in the future, and, and we can't predict them. Like, you know, may, and, and they could be, you know, let's say there's a disruption in our oil supply. All of a sudden, the places that right now seem like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't have all of this transit and all of this density. All of a sudden, that that's going to turn around. So we're going to have other types of crises. But you know, what, what is interesting to me is that we have this timeless wisdom that's dealt with all of these crises, right? We have these cities that were built in a certain way, and they've dealt with, this isn't the first time that there's been a pandemic in a city where people have said, you know, gosh, maybe nobody should live in the cities anymore. But, but the cities have survived through that. And through it all, um, these principles that you have, have, have more wisdom than, than we'll understand. So I think that that's, that's kind of interesting. That's a really good point, Rick. Um, so you think about those windows, you had this big blank wall across the front of a 26,000 square foot old grocery store, old hardware store. And it's just a big old blank wall. And so if you remember, because you helped me with this, you helped me with this plan of this thing and the zoning uh, of this project. So we put those windows in there so that the vendors, the food vendors, could serve inside the building, but they could serve outside the building. And so we could create people on the sidewalk. So the, the reason that the trailers were put outside and that the windows were there is so we created life on the sidewalk, urbanism. We created urbanism. So now that now it didn't really some of it worked and some of it is working slowly over time. Slow but thank God we did this because now they can actually be open <laughs> and serve because we did urban good urban planning. Because of that, they can actually be open. And so that we got lucky, if you will, uh by doing that. And, and and this this good urban planning, all of these principles that you were using, and you might have only seen, you know, you you or I might say like, oh, these are the three reasons why this is important, and these are the three reasons why this is important. But other people over literally thousands of years, you know, something happened, and they were doing something a certain way. They had a market that was only accessible inside, and then. The, you know, you had the plague, the black plague comes out or there's some pandemic and then they say, oh, from now on, we should do it X, Y, Z. Or you have some increase in crime or you have, you know, there's riots, there's a what, whatever thing happens. And then they passed on this wisdom of how to do these things. And it turned out to have a lot of different reasons that we don't understand. So so all of a sudden you can have people who, you know, 100 years ago were uh you know illiterate lumberjacks right and and but they were building according to this way not because they understood that there were all these good reasons to but because 
other people figured it out and they were they were taught to. You know, if you look at these great successful public spaces we have that we used to just build automatically, it turns out that these are very satisfying to human instincts, right? It's like, and you didn't have to have a master's degree from Harvard to understand that. You just needed to know that this was passed on and that it happened to deal in some way with all of the problems that we had before. So that's like this this spooky wisdom that you you built you built to these principles and it turned out you had a problem and it was like maybe somebody had figured this out before yeah, that's <laughs> maybe right. maybe that maybe that happened through the trial and error maybe there's a wisdom that we don't understand and that we you know we tried to throw away but 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 it turned out maybe that we we needed it and the fact that we've lost it we're we're running into to perhaps some some crises you're talking about natural you're talking about natural patterns when we started working on downtown Duncanville, you know, 20 years ago, we stood on the corner of Main and Center, and we, like the illiterate lumberjack, because I consider myself like the old man that lived in a village his whole life, you know. Now, I'm not, I'm getting older. I still think of myself as 25, but, you know. <laughs> but we stand on the corner of Main and Center like the illiterate lumberjack, and we'd look around and we'd go, okay, we did. What is missing? What is missing from my quality of life that could make my life complete? And it wasn't another Gucci store, okay? It was coffee and a haircut and place to get vegetables. You know, and you know that was what we looked at. And it's the same thing. And then how can we get to that place? Do we have a good pathway to get across the street? Do we have a good sidewalk to walk on? Can we get a wheelchair, you know, down the street? And those are the kind of things that that we looked at. These are universal laws. These are laws of nature. They're laws of pattern. They're laws of math. You know, these are what we're talking about. Now, I don't understand them as well as you do, Rick, and probably Chris, either one of you, but, you know, I understand them from an instinct, you know, from, from you know, it's kind of like my cats. You know, my cats are very instinctual. They're not that smart, you know, that like a dog. A dog is actually learns, right? I mean, I'm like my cats. I'm not that smart, but I have really good instincts, you know, <laughs> for this stuff. So, uh, you know, guys like you guys are smarter that can figure it out. How to develop policies? How do these cities can develop policies now that can get us this result of these natural instincts? How do you how do you do that? Because our current policies are not are not really doing that in most cases. Not at, not at all, which is how you which is how you end up getting into so much trouble, you know, when um it was it was uh, I think a month and a day ago when when someone told me they canceled South by Southwest and I actually used the had the question why? Why did they do that? And someone was like coronavirus. I'm like a month ago, Monty. I'm like they canceled something because of the coronavirus? That's weird. Um, and that was and that was a big event. So that's how that's how quickly this is is happening. Um, so another another thought I have because I think that that some of the conversation about small business needs to be expanded a little bit in terms of of the scope of the business. Um, and on the one hand, you have these mom and pop businesses, which um, I'm very passionate about, and, and which you know, punch way, way above their weight class, right? The, the value that a, a retail store or a diner um, or a, a pub creates 
for its surroundings is enormous. Um, and, you know, if we if we lose 12 or 15, you know, businesses in Bishop Arts, I mean, that's that's going to be a catastrophe that is going to have effects on everything from real estate to to people wanting to be in the city to all sorts of things so so i'm very passionate about that um but i'm also giving a lot of thought to you know when we say small business um technically that's that's defined in some circles by less than 500 people but but let's talk less than 100 um because there's there's places like um littleton colorado is known for this where they talk about uh economic gardening and the idea is, you know, to give support to businesses that might have 10 to 100 employees. And it can be things like helping them to get a better website or helping with their social media or um, competitive information. Um, so, you know, what if we imagine, for example, that the local, um, the EDC, um, you know, maybe maybe the chamber is, is, is set so that it helps the mom and pop businesses, but maybe the EDC starts getting set up so that instead of saying, hey, let's try to bring in a warehouse from out of town, which it's, it's really going to be a race to the bottom now, they say, let's try to figure out, you know, what if we were to do X, Y, Z for the businesses that have 10 to 100 people so that they can keep so that we can keep those businesses in, in place now. I agree. Um, and I think that's more relevant than ever. What, do, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on that? I think I have a good uh, answer for that. So I believe strongly right now that the most important thing that we can do in our city, besides keeping safe, is to keep our small businesses healthy. Uh, without them, and I, and I think of a small business to me as like less than 20 employees. I mean, I would think a business with 100 employees, you know, you're talking about a $100 million business, but most of this country and most of our cities and most of the people, Rick, that, that we know in Bishop Arts and um, Duncanville and DeSoto and even lower Greenville Avenue, you know, 20 people or less is a small business. But without them... Without these people, these small businesses, we're nothing, you know. So we can forget about the new businesses for now because they're not going to come right now. Just forget about them. So we need to take care of what we have, even if we have to use our own city economic development funds. So whatever, I mean, we ought to forget about right now, like in Duncanville, one of the things that I'm talking to the city manager about is like, and you and I talked about this yesterday, um, is that we got to use our own funds. We, we have economic development funds sitting in the bank right here, right now. What could be more important than preserving these, these small businesses? And so on top of, of, uh, of, on top of that, so we need to discuss the most modern technique for new economic development policy. So to me, economic development is no longer about what we can give away because we don't have anything to give away anymore. We just lost it. It's about how we can creatively broker finance and place deals at the proper size in the right place so we get the biggest bang for increasing our tax base and our quality of life. And here's another thing I believe in, in with cities. I believe that the city manager's office and city managers and the city councils have to lead this directly. I don't believe that, that you can pass this along down to a lower boards and, and directors anymore. 
this has to be front and center top priority besides the health, besides keeping people alive, but this is actually a, a lifeline, a bloodline to keeping people alive, in my opinion. Because if people run out of money, just think about it. In 30 days, you think about 60 days if people run out of money, what's going to happen? You better board your stores up because there's got to be chaos. I, you answered the question I had because I was going to say you t we talk a lot about you know principles and responsibility and stewardship, and you've mentioned how you do that as a landlord. And um, now it, I was going to ask specifically you know what you think cities responsibility and stewardship is. And this is exactly that. This is the answer to that question. So yeah, that's, that's perfect. And that's also a very, a very good point that if all of these older businesses, like it's, it's not going to be new businesses. If anything, it's going to be people who've already, um, have a business that, that may, that they're going to figure out how to redefine it. Like, so, cause if you're, if you're trying to figure out right now, how to start a business from scratch right now, um, I, we all know that that's a, a brutal process, even in the best of times. So you're not starting a business from scratch. You're going to have to figure it out. Oh, actually right now might be a good time to start to be thinking if you're not, if you hadn't started a business right now and you're looking at the, the future in front of us right now, what business would you start? Right. You know, what, how would you position your business right now? I think it would be totally different than it was 60 days ago. I mean, it's got to be totally different. I mean, what do we want to sell if we're, if we're selling right now? You know what business I want to be in in the future? In the, in the trash business or the toilet paper business, you know? I, I want to be in a business for sure that's got to sustain through the test of time. I want to be, I want to be in, in, that, in that business. And, you know, I've been through four crises. This is my fifth crisis. The first crisis was coming out of the late 80s, the SNL savings and loan and the oil crisis. And then the second one was when the superconducting super collider project, it was more of a local crisis, was shut down by uh, Congress and the president in the early 90s in Southern Dallas and all these scientific type people and smart people left and all these houses and buildings were on the market all at once. And then the third one was 9-11. 9-11 was for sure a crisis that, and it, financial. And then the mortgage crisis of 2008, you know, in that period. So I've been through four of these crises and, and knock on wood, I've never had a foreclosure or a bankruptcy. Um, and the reason that we were able to make it through these crises is that first of all, I was working on Sundays, <laughs> you know, I'm working every day of the week thinking and not just working physically, but a lot of it is thinking and talking to guys like you, which you guys have been, believe it or not, all the conversations we have makes a big difference in, in what I do and what I think. So these conversations are really important. But and, and, and to know my, uh, my craft, to know what it is, and to make my craft better. Because you could say, well, Monty, you're good at doing stuff in southern Dallas County. Why don't you take it nationwide? Because I wouldn't be good then. Because I wouldn't, because I don't think we're meant, I think we're meant to be specialists and we're meant to be legendary status. We all have in us, all of us have in us something very special, a very special purpose. Each one of us do. I believe that about everybody. I believe that. 
And to find that purpose, to find that special thing that that you were intended to do, is such a good is such a good thing. And sometimes it's so simple, people miss it because it's right in front of them. And because of that, because I found that early on in my life, uh, I've been able to make it through these tough times and to be resilient. And I can tell you, at one point, you know, I was living in a hotel and driving shuttles. I was owner of the hotel and I was driving shuttles uh, during that 2008, 2009 period. And you know what? It was the best thing I ever did. Because driving those shuttles, people didn't know I was the owner of the hotel. First of all, they tipped me and that was the most money I made during that time, the tips. But secondly, I got direct feedback of what was wrong with my hotel or what was right with my hotel. And I was able to make adjustments on the spot right there immediately. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me at that hotel. Because I, I didn't have to hire a secret shopper or do a survey or I didn't have to. All I had to do was, and, it, and again, it, it helped me from going crazy. It helped me keep my sanity because I would always, otherwise I would just sit around worried about the money, you know, to pay our bills. So it kept me engaged where I, and once I was engaged with doing the next right thing, with living one day at a time, I was able to make it. Because I can tell you one thing in the 2008 crisis during that period and owning that hotel and being a real estate developer at the same time, there was high, the odds were probably 90 to one or something or highly against me really making it uh, through that period. And that's how we made it. That's how we made it. It was getting up and I'm telling you a lot of days I wanted to quit. In fact, I had planned to what was gonna happen when I went broke. I had planned it. I was going to walk to Washington, D.C. from Texas through every small town in America and talk to every small business person I could talk to. That was going to be my goal. And just talk and not, not try to get publicity, not try to get anything. Let it, let it evolve over time and just get to know people with the same problems, and that's what, and, and Forrest Gump actually inspired, <laughs> it was kind of a Forrest Gump thing, you know, he took off running, yeah. you know. You just kept but, going. Uh, yeah. It was kind of that thing, <laughs> so, but anyway, that's kind of a, but those, those crises are good times to start a business. Yeah. So if you think about it right now, if you're looking for a, uh, uh, but, or, or restart your business and sharpen your skills. I mean, I think of it. I think of it definitely as as a a restarting, and in a way for us, you know, we've been we've we've long been kind of believing that what the way that we plan and the way that we invest in our places is unsustainable. Um, so that gives us a little bit. I feel a little bit more prepared for this because I felt like. I felt for the last several years like we were already kind of in the beginning phases of a crisis. It wasn't. It just wasn't as obvious. Um, but I think for other businesses, it's like they're they're going to be able to have to figure out ways to to redefine themselves because they're going to be something else. Even if you have a restaurant after this, or even if you have a bar, or even if you have a store, it's like I think you're going to have to think differently about yourself because we are going to be in a different world, at least to some extent. Um, whether whether this we bounce back from this in in five years or whether this is multi generational impact, 
I think it's going to have that that type of effect. Um, one of the things that we discussed is is uh, Christopher and I have discussed this a lot actually, but I've been talking with you about this a little bit. Is kind of redefining what we did think of before as as incubation, um, and the, you know the because before right now you know a lot of the things that you did with for example Tyler Station and and the Grow DeSoto project as well as some others the idea was okay th- this is somebody who makes good cupcakes but doesn't have all the other skills to run a business so how do we put them into something that that might be low risk that might be a little bit lower cost where they can start small and then and then build to the next step um now we might have somebody who had a cupcake shop and, and ran it for five years and has a customer base and had a bunch of employees, but they're not going to be able to have that cupcake shop now, but maybe they can go into, you know, into something smaller and, and, and do something. Or maybe you have somebody who had, you know, the most legendary barbecue in a town and they're shut down. Uh, but now all of a sudden they're, you know, they're popping up on an event every, you know, every Saturday uh, for 30 Saturdays a week. Um, and the advantage that that person has is they've already done it once. They've already have a lot of the skills and they already have a following. They might be able to get people to, to go in line for that. So how would you think of like, so you have two, two venues that are essentially business incubators. Do you think that you're going to end up maybe hosting people who had a larger shop or a larger operation and now they have to downscale downsize for a while and and scale up or have you given a lot of thought to that i know we've talked about it a little bit you know that's a really good point and i experienced this once before because people said you know people used to say to me said money you know how's this economy affecting you from the past i said you know what it never gets that good in southern dallas county (laughs) it never gets that bad (laughs) so it's never that high it's never that low but you're right. When the economy gets bad, the small spaces do better because people are downsizing. People are downsizing and people are starting new. During the down economies, it's a really good time to start a new business because really you're starting a business fresh eyes with a view on the current future, on the current future. Like if we started a business 90 days ago, it would be we would have been thinking totally different than we're thinking today. It would have been totally everything about it would be different. It would be a we would have had a bad, you know, it had a bad deal. Now, the project I'm fixing to close on is a 16,000 square foot building on South Beckley, okay, near Saner, okay, or Keast Boulevard. It's way south. It's way. It's kind of a, a little distance away from, you know, like Bishop Arts or Tyler Station. But you know what? It's full of little bitty small spaces. So people that are gone broke or lost their jobs at the restaurants, but that were cutting hair or doing eyelashes or um, wanting to, to have a small restaurant, this place is ready for them. So we're already, and I hate to call this stuff incubators anymore, Rick. I'm trying to figure out another way, another name, because some of the people that come into these spaces, these small venues, I think they'd be there the rest of their life. Because if you're making cupcakes and you're there every day and you love doing cupcakes, and this is what happens to chefs, many chefs that I know that have gone broke. So they start one restaurant, they're the chef back there working in the kitchen. And then before long, they open up another one in another place. And they have three or four places. And now they're no longer cooking anymore. 
which is what they love to do. They're now become a businessman, an employment officer, a, a legal, you know, a legal and accounting person. And so they've gotten away from their craft. And then the next thing you know, the business starts to go down. So I think this opportunity is for the chef or the craftsman or woman to scale back to back to what made us happy. What made us get into this business? What made us do what we do? And so they get back to the basics. Back in, I mean, Sean Springer at Tyler Station, who's a woodworker, you know, he's socially distant at home. He lives by himself. And his shop is basically mostly just him by himself and they're working. And so he's decided, he's made a conscious decision to be a furniture maker, a, a legendary, he's a legendary furniture maker right now. He is. And he's out there just working away right now, building his, he, he might build on a table for a month. He might build on one project for a month. He's doing what makes him fulfilled. He's, he's fulfilling his purpose, you know, and he's doing something. And I think that we're going to see a lot more people think about their purpose. And what is it all about? Is it just to make another dollar? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a capitalist, okay? I'm definitely not a socialist or leaning that way. I'm a capitalist. But I'm also a conscious capitalist. And I think that, you know, making money is important for sustainability, but it's not the reason that I work. But without money, I can't do another project. So that's why I say I'm a capitalist. So I can't do... But I'm thinking these small spaces, we don't want, um, I try not to call them incubators anymore because they can incubate. I mean, because we have places where people can start in business for as little as $150 to $250 a month. I think we probably need to do one of these once a week because we could go on for another hour. I think about, you know, filling empty spaces and the ideas because we're going to have a lot of empty spaces. And I think talking about that's going to be really important. So I think we should talk about that next week. Um, you talked about you know, money. And, uh, I've heard it said that life, you know, we have to breathe to sustain our life, like breathing, getting revenue for a business is like oxygen for your body. But the point of life isn't to breathe, but you, you need it to keep going. Right. And so I absolutely agree with that. Um, you talked about seeing hope and how important it is that we see hope and have some sense of normalcy in the sense of like, you're going to give people, you know, I need my constructors need construction workers need to work right now, which relates directly into what you said. Like what's the next right thing to do, which I think is, is a great thing uh, to kind of take away from at least this last hour of you, of, of, you know, what's the next right thing I can do. Um, I heard a podcast on Joe Rogan with the Navy SEAL talking about this exact crisis and getting through SEAL boot camp, And he said, you know, the people that, that drop out are the ones that are thinking a week ahead or three days ahead. Cause they're like, I can't do this. He's like, I thought about my next meal. He's like, I, I, you know, it's, it's hell. And if I can get to breakfast, if I can get to lunch, if I can get to dinner, he just took it like one little, now maybe you're not going through a hard enough time that you got to just be like, man, how do I get to lunch? But you're right. One day at a time, right? We got to take this one day at a time. And it's a lot easier for us whenever we think, you know, to, to uh, what is it? Uh, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own, right? Um, so just take it one day at a time. I think those are really practical um, steps. And I think that you're doing a lot of those things with your tenants of like the next right thing. Um, I, You know, I, I want to talk for another hour. I think we should just 
talk about a lot of this stuff next time. I, I don't know what, what summary of thoughts uh, you have or Rick has, but you know, that's my summary. And I, I really appreciate you taking time to, I, I, I'm going to, what I'm really going to take from this right now is what's the next right thing that I can do each day, you know, to, to, to get through this and, and whether it's for me or for people around me. Um, and I, I think that's, that's, that's a lot of wisdom. Um, uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I think there's so many things we could talk about, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Monty get the the fi- the last word. But I, I had a thought that connected so much into what he said about incubators that I don't want to miss it. Um, in in uh, Little Italy in Chicago, um, it, it, Little Italy is not what it used to be, but it's still kind of a, a place. Um, there was an Italian ice basically almost like a a shack right that my father used to go to when he was a kid and my father would take me there when I was a kid and it was one of my great memories right and it was open just during the summer and you'd have lines and and you know when I went to grad school I lived right by where that place was and sometimes at grad school I would walk over and on the summer months there were lines all the way down the street right so I don't know if that place is still open but it, you know probably it's been around for 80 years and it's as popular as ever um, so if they had thought of themselves as we're going to be an Italian ice incubator and we have this little stand right now, but, but eventually it's going to be this, you know, huge Italian ice place, right? They'd probably be out of business. Um, but they're this tiny place that's legendary that has lines down the block and that has, has been sort of an anchor, um, and a beloved place that's helped to kind of keep what, what's left of this culture there in the neighborhood. Um, so I do think that's a good point. I think that there's some places that um, can incubate and are, are start out small but then grow, but there's nothing wrong with, with having a, you know, a great Italian ice shack or, or a hot dog stand, right? If you've got a great hot dog stand that's popular for 40 years and makes money for the person, that's fantastic. And I think that's an important point, and we, we should come up with a better word for that going forward. Yeah. I agree. And you, you get it. You understand it. Um, and right now, I, you know, I have a vegan place down at DeSoto Marketplace. Okay. And my challenge with him, because he, he's legendary. My challenge is to keep him legendary and keep him from franchising himself. Because he wants to franchise himself and open up all over the place. And I'm trying to keep him down. And some might think, well, Monty, you're keeping him down. You know, you're keeping him. I said, no, I'm trying to keep him great. I want him to be great. I don't want him to be another uh, statistic of an out of business, uh, you know, out of, uh, so, so another restaurant out of business. But back to what Chris said about doing the next right thing. Here's, here's something. A long time ago, in a faraway place, I was in a bad, you know, I have a lot of issues in my life, you might say. And I figured out how to deal with those issues. And a guy told me, I was trying to get through some really tough times, and a guy told me, a guy named Steve Meeks, he told me, he said, he said, do the next right thing, Monty. And I said, and I was at home, and I said, well, I didn't have a job, I didn't have anything going on at the time. And I said, well, what the heck is the next right thing? He goes, I don't know, you tell me. I said, did you make your bed? And I said, no. He said, go make your bed and call me back. I made my bed and called him back. Next he said, okay, did you clean the kitchen? In the house? I said, no. He said, go clean the kitchen in the house and call me back. Next after that, he said, did you, did you clean the garage out? 
you know, clean the garage. And so all these years I've told my kids and I've told other people all the time that really I'm just a cleanup man. That's really all I am. I just clean things up. And I, t I say right now, if you don't know what to do, you go clean things up. In fact, my youngest daughter, who's just came to work with me uh, in our company, her husband, uh, he's a really good guy, and he used to work with us many years ago. In fact, that's how they met. He had a big-time job with a big developer building restaurants all over the country, making a lot of money. Okay, he was making a lot of money. Okay, two Sundays ago, they called him on Sunday morning and fired him. Okay, I mean, on the spot. I mean, it was like that restaurant, they, they were building restaurants 10 or 12 a year on leased land, not even on land they owned. Okay, they were building, and, and so they fired him. And so she told me he was really down. I mean, and she was down, you know, because they, they, they have four kids and all this income, and all of a sudden it popped into her head. My dad said, clean the garage. And she and him got outside, and they cleaned the garage out. And they cleaned, and they immediately began to feel better. And then they got tired of sitting in the house and sitting out in the backyard, so they fixed them a place up in the garage, you know, with the TV and some beer and some wine and some other things, and started having social, family social events in different places in the house, you know, around. And they... They have been able to get by and make it and cleaning out the garage. I know another guy who kept for, who, who was a, an alcoholic. And the biggest problem he and his wife had was the garage. She couldn't park her car in the garage. And I went over and talked to him one day and I said, clean the garage out so your wife can park in the garage. And they cleaned the garage out. And, and he has never had a drink since then. So he's kept his, his, his life sane by cleaning. And right now, right now, and I'll end with this, is if you don't know what to do, clean your house, clean your garage, clean your car, clean your office, clean your restaurant, pull everything out of the restaurant, clean all in those crevices and those back places, clean the bathrooms, you know, clean, clean, clean. You'll feel better. Sounds good to me. That's good advice to me. I probably need to clean my office right now. As a no comment. No car, so. comment. So. <laughs> hey, hey, it'll make you feel better. I promise. I promise it'll, it, it will.